Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hochberg, and this is episode number 282. With 2018 coming to a close, I can't help but look back on my busiest and most exciting year of cruising on Royal Caribbean yet. Across eight sailings, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to take a variety of sailings to many different destinations across North America, although primarily I ended up in Cozumel. But on this week's episode, I'm sharing my top five cruise memories of 2018 and inviting you to share yours as well. Here we go. With just days left in 2018, I was driving to the bank the other day and my mind started wandering to where it normally ends up, which is, of course, well, thinking about going on a cruise. And I had such a fun year of cruising this year with with the most cruises in one calendar year that I've ever taken. I recall last year doing five sales and thinking to myself, I had truly reached a pinnacle of cruising excellence only to hit eight sailings this year. Of course, the amount of sailings you go on is insignificant compared to the power of the force. No, wait, uh, insignificant to the experiences one has on those sailings. We visited a lot of places, got to try different things and see ships that we that were new to me. And so this week, I wanted to count down my top five cruising experiences and talk about why each stood out to me. This is in no particular order, although I do think my number one is number one for a reason, but we're going to go backwards here, uh, starting with, of course, getting to go on the brand new Symphony of the Seas in any year in which I get to go on not only a new cruise ship, like to me, but a new cruise ship to the fleet. That's an exciting thing. I've been lucky enough to be able to sample a number of new Royal Caribbean ships over the last couple of years, going back to, you know, Quantum of the Seas when she first debuted, and then Anthem, and Harmony, and now Allure, and Symphony, not Allure, Allure, I went on, but she wasn't new at that time. But regardless, looking at all this, you know, when you go on a new ship, there's just something special about it. I don't care what ship it is. I don't care if you consider yourself a big ship guy or not a big ship guy. It is special when you get to go on a ship that just enters the fleet because it has the latest and greatest things Royal Caribbean is is touting, quite frankly. There's a lot that goes into a ship like Symphony of the Seas. And despite being the fourth Oasis-class ship, Royal Caribbean added a ton to it. And I remember thinking when Symphony first debuted, she did her her summer season over in Europe. So there was quite a few months before she came over to the United States. And I remember, you know, seeing other people's experiences, seeing photos, videos of everything on Symphony. And I was super excited to try it out for myself. After all, of course, we just did a Harmony of the Seas a couple times uh, last year and really fell in love with Harmony. Rediscovered the Oasis class as a true favorite and you know, to go on Symphony again really got me excited for it. So when we did get the chance to go on Symphony of the Seas, and I managed to get, you know, three sailings in one month on Symphony, I, you know, it was everything I hoped for. It really was. They did an awesome, awesome job with Symphony of the Seas. I just love all the new venues, all the new shows. It As a Royal Caribbean fan, I think it's really cool when you go on a ship and there is, like, really a ton of new things to you. All too often, it can be very easy to, you know, do a lot of the same old, same old, right? I mean, we I love certain ships in the fleet that I've been on many times. You know, whether it's a Brilliance of the Seas, a Freedom of the Seas, uh, an Oasis of the Seas. You know, but we've seen those shows before. We've been on those ships before, and they're great. And I'll see the shows again. That's how good they are. But when you get to go on a ship like Symphony and it's all new, that's a real treat. And I think as a Royal Caribbean fan, and any veteran fan will tell you, it's always nice to be able to have, oh, wow, not only is this in like a new ship, but really, truly, the experience from start to finish is new. And clearly, Royal Caribbean is making just huge leaps and bounds with their ships. I, you know, I was talking to somebody 
about this on Symphony of the Seas, and they said, you know, they went on Oasis of the Seas and, you know, thought, you know, Oasis is a great ship, and the entertainment is phenomenal, but you can see the evolution of Royal Caribbean's entertainment and activities from a ship like Oasis, which is not that old, right? Debuted uh, just last decade, and less than 10 years later, we're seeing already the, you know, a leaps and bound difference with Symphony. And that's what really stood out to me. A lot of people always ask me, you know, Matt, what do you think of Symphony? How does it compare to Harmony or the other Oasis class ships? Is it better? Is it your favorite ship? You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, I always tell people, it's like, yeah, it was a great time. We had an awesome time on board. It's not my favorite ship, but we still had a great experience on there. And truly, going on Symphony, I think, hit all the check boxes I was looking for. So again, when it's a new ship, it's going to make my top five list almost every time, unless there's like, more than five new ships in a year, which doesn't happen, so I have to worry about that. But definitely going on Symphony of the Season. By extension, getting a chance to also see the brand new cruise terminal in Miami. Terminal A, I'm telling you, it's a real game changer. And you might say to yourself, you're sitting at home or you're in the car, and you're like, Matt, you're really getting excited, and you're telling us to get excited about a terminal? Like, I've been to Port Liberty, you know, I've been to uh, Terminal 1 in Cape Canaveral. How, Matt, how could it possibly be that much more interesting? Not that those are that interesting, but, you know, it's a cruise terminal, but really what I love about what they did there is, is, is not more of the same. Because Cape Liberty uh, and, and Terminal 1 in, in Port Canaveral are nice, efficient means of which to get you from the curb on board the ship. But they fall very much in that tradition of just being kind of a, a warehouse of guests. I mean, you know, nothing. it's not a knock against. It's just not the most visually appealing or stimulating place to go. It's just literally... You know, a large area in which you go and sit in and wait to board the ship and collect your luggage at the end of the cruise. And it's fine. It's efficient. They do a good job with it. It's clean. No complaints whatsoever. I don't think anyone ever said, had to hear and said, you know, these terminals are bad. No. But what they did with, with Terminal A is they took it to that next level of making it actually, you know, a pleasing experience to the eye and to the self, body. I'm not sure how that metaphor works. But, you know, it, it was fun to be able to... Uh, to enjoy that. So, you know, they just, it's its so beautiful what they do with that building and the way they, it's one thing to develop a brand new cruise ship, but when you can develop the embarkation and disembarkation process from scratch to match it, you know, to the ship, that's a big deal right there. And we saw this, you know, initially with Terminal 18 in Port Everglades when they built that for Oasis of the Seas back a number, a couple of years ago. But, you know, with this, this really is there's been a lot of lessons learned, and you can see it from there, and it really makes embarkation and disembarkation a real breeze, and truly, you know, about as enjoyable as it can be when you're talking about just, you know, passing through a building, essentially. So, kudos on both sides of that. But again, love me some Symphony of the Seas. All right, let's move on to number two. In 2018, for me, if I had to come up with a theme of 2018, it was I lived the sweet life in 2018, as in I stayed in a number of suites. We're not usually sweet people uh, in the sense that like, I don't only book that. I book suites as a matter of opportunity. It really ha- boils down to when I look to book a cruise, I don't limit myself to one category or another. I look at the big picture and I say, okay, how much is the sailing going to cost me? You know, what are the prices like? Uh, you know, oftentimes people ask, you know, Matt, do you, do you book suites? Do you not book suites? Do you book balconies? Do you only book insides? Like what's your, what's your take? And I say every cruise I look at it, as a blank slate. I don't go into it saying, I only am going to say in this category above or this not above this category. It really has to do with price. And sometimes you look at the pricing, you're like, oh, okay, we're going to do an inside room on this one or a promenade balcony or a promenade view room, right? And other times, you know, we look at the balcony price and say, oh, the jump from a balcony, which is, you know, pretty standard for us to a suite is not that much. And in a lot of these cases, that's exactly what happens. So it was a matter of coincidence more than anything 
We ended up staying across my eight sailings in 2018. Four of those sailings were in a suite. We ended up doing one in a grand suite, two in an owner suite, and one in a junior suite. And, you know, the, the takeaway from the suite life is it's really nice. The benefits of staying in a suite are something I always enjoy. And I always tell people when it comes to booking a suite, it's not like critical essential. Some people might disagree with me on that one because they are, you know, they're, they're sweet snobs by their own admission. And that's okay. I certainly like it. You're never going to hear me say, oh, I had a bad time in the suite. It's really nice to have those perks. I love the priority embarkation, disembarkation. It's great to have access to the concierge lounge or a suite lounge, depending on what ship you happen to be on, especially the concierge. You know, while the diamond concierge does a great job, that the sweet concierge will literally do anything you need in order to get that, you know, make your cruise better. They really are amazing in terms of the flexibility and pull they have on board a ship. And, you know, those perks are really nice. Uh, I like being, you know, the extra the extra breathing room is amazing. You know, just to even go from a balcony to a junior suite, you the first thing you will notice is, wow, there is so much more room in this cabin to walk around. You're not doing the, the shimmy or the shuffle across where you start turning sideways in order to get past a piece of furniture, another person in your room or anything like that. It, it really does feel like more like a, you know, more of a traditional hotel room in that regard. And that's one of the best things about it. Um, you know, the balconies, the extra space on the balconies is always nice. I like, if nothing else, just having on our balcony rather than a, tr- a typical, like, chair. You actually get the lounge chairs you can lay down in. That's a really nice perk right there. So, you know, 2018 definitely was the sweet life for us. We got a chance to try out a grand suite, two owners, and a junior. And I really did enjoy it. I think, actually, my takeaway is it's ironic that I'm going to be talking about this as one of the highlights of my year. Because it was. It was really cool. We can reward ourselves a little bit and enjoy that. On the flip side of things, we I, I think I'm coming away from 2018 saying, you know, grand su- uh, suites in general are really nice. I don't know that I'm, I necessarily need to become a suite snob or say, oh, we're only going to stay in suites. Because at the end of the day, it's hard to justify sometimes that price. Also, I've also realized that, at least at this stage in our cruising career, I am definitely the type of person who doesn't spend all that much time in their room. No matter which suite we're talking about, I really barely ever spent time in there other than sleeping, showering, and what have you. In fact, the balcony, I rarely ever went out on. Uh, probably the one I spent the most time on the balcony was in Alaska on Explorer of the Seas, because for obvious reasons, for sightseeing. But I, on our most recent cruise on Symphony, we had a grand suite. And granted, it was a group cruise. So when it's a Royal Caribbean blog group cruise, different, different approach, different vibe, no question about it. But I know my wife spends more time out there than I do, but... You know, it's kind of a, you know, I, I kind of realized, okay, it's really nice to have. And, I, and if, if the price works and if there's a deal out there on it, heck, yeah, I'll jump for it. But I'm not going to necessarily say, oh, we really have to do it. Because I remember the first time we did a suite experience. I think it was the, it was a grand suite. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, I told my wife, I was like, we need to do this again. We need to keep doing this. This is awesome. And then you realize it is awesome. It is a lot of fun. But I also can be totally have a great time without the sweet experience there. It's just a nice to have. And that's really, it's icing on the cake. It's a way to reward yourself, treat yourself, as they say, and kind of go about it that way. So the sweet life for 2018 was really good. Actually, looking forward in 2019, I think we only have maybe one or two sailings of the seven or so that I have booked right now that include a uh, suite in there. So it's definitely going to be a bit of a change there. But I'll, we'll get to that later on as the year progresses. But anyway, 2018 was the most suites we've ever stayed in, and I did enjoy every time it was there. It's always, I like feeling like we're in a suite. In fact, what's funny is my daughter, sign of the times, my oldest daughter now asks, "Are we? do we have a gold card? She doesn't know that it's a suite or not or whatever. She doesn't remember, but she remembers, do we have a special card or do we not have a special card? And there. <laughs> yes, she is spoiled, folks. 
All right, next one. Uh, and I alluded to this jokingly at the top of the episode, but we spent a lot of time in Cozumel. Of my eight sailing, six of them brought me to Cozumel. And I love Cozumel. I really do. I know some people don't have the greatest opinion of Cozumel or, you know, maybe think the highest of it or is their favorite port. And I'm not saying that Cozumel is my favorite port, but I really enjoyed my time in Cozumel. I love how many things there are to do in Cozumel. I went to a lot of different resorts. We got to eat a lot of Mexican food, which I am all about Mexican food when it comes down to, you know, what I like about cruising is, I'll tell you guys, it's all about the food. It always is all about food on 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 this podcast and on realcreamblog.com. But by the same token, uh, you know, Mexican food if on the top of the list right there is really, really nice. That does it for me uh, personally. I really do enjoy that. Um, one of the, when I realized we were going to go to Cosmo so many times in 2018, and we started going actually in – we went to Cozumel, to be fair. I also went to Cozumel, let's see, in November of 2017 and then also in September of 2017. So I really have been there eight times in the last you know 12 months or so. But anyway, I digress. Or 15 months, whatever it is. But the, the point is, is um, while going – when I realized I was going there so often, I said to myself, said, self, we're going to have to take advantage of this. Because one of the most common questions I'll get anywhere on the blog uh, outside of cruise ship questions is – What's the best thing to do in blank? And I said, if we're going to go to Cosmo this many times, I'm not doing the same thing every single time. So we wanted to, or aspired to try a number of different beach resorts in Cozumel. And we went to a number of them over the course, each time going to a different one. And I'll tell you that uh, after look, doing going to Cozumel, like I said, for you know, six to eight times over the last 12 to 15 months, you know, my opinion of it, I've seen a lot of different choices. And the good news is when you're picking a beach resort, an all-inclusive one or one that just has a small fee you pay as you go, I will tell you they're all really good. I don't know if there's one I went to. I said, oh, we're never coming back to this place again. Um, you know, they all have their advantages. They all have their disadvantages. It's really about, again, like so many things, it's about what you're looking to get out of it. What are you, What are your priorities? What are you looking to do? Because I might say, oh, you know, this particular beach is my favorite. But if you're not interested in drinking all day or you're not interested or you are interested in like uh, you know, an aqua park or water slides, you know, certain amenities, then it may or may not be a good fit for you. So it's really a matter of finding one that offers the things you're looking for. In the same way, I tell people when you're looking, what's, what's the best ship, Royal Caribbean ship for you? It's not about what my favorite ship is, right? It's about what are you looking for in your cruise? Same is true of beach resorts. With that being said, I did post at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com our list of best beach uh, resorts in Cozumel, but I'm going to list them over here for you. My best overall beach resort in Cozumel was El Cosmolino. Um, you know, between the beach pool, uh, the beach, sorry, the beach, comma, pool, comma, food, service. I mean, I felt El Cosmolino was the total package. It was, it had beaten or surpassed my previous favorite resort or beach resort of all time, which was Nachi Cocum. And we'll get to that in a minute, but um, El Cosmolino really stood out. Now, I'm going back there in, in, I think I'm going back there in February to visit again, you know, kind of because I had such a great time there. And B, also to, you know, make sure it wasn't an aberration. But I'll tell you right now, uh, for me, for the money, if you're looking for a place that you don't have to, you get all you want to drink, all you want to eat, and great service and good food and really the total package. El Cosmolino is the place for you. Now, if you're saying, well, Matt, I don't really want to drink or eat that much. I'm just looking for a nice beach, great service, but, you know, maybe we'll drink and eat. I don't know, but I don't want to pay. I don't want to overpay for food and drink. I'm not going to take advantage of it. My wife's not a big drinker. I'm not a big drinker. We don't want to eat that much. You know, there's we want to go for half the day, a quarter of the day, you know, it, those kind of situations, right? There's a lot of people that fall into that. For that thing, for that category, we'll call that best value, Paradise Beach 
is the place for you. I went to Paradise Beach for the first time on my honeymoon cruise, if I'm not mistaken, uh, about 10 years ago. And we went back again this summer, and I'll tell you, Paradise Beach has got it going on. They have a great operation there. It costs like $3 to sit down. That's all you have to pay up front. After that, it's totally up to you what you want to do. That 3 bucks, by the way, get, I forget it's 3 or 5 but it doesn't matter because that gets you, gets you a beach chair, an umbrella, uh, access to the beach, access to the pool. That's a lot right there, and it's really nice because it's run well. And if you need a drink, if you want food, the staff there was unbelievable and you know, again, because it's that, you know, build your own adventure type situation where you only pay for what you use, I think the value proposition is tremendously high at Paradise Beach. So that's a really, really good choice. Again, if you're, if you don't want the all inclusive option, if you want the best service, I still give an edge to Nachi Kokum. Um, Nachi is an all inclusive place. They, what I like about Nachi, the one, this is the only place I'm aware of in Cosmo that does this. That limits its attendance, the amount of guests that can go there. They have a capacity. They typically don't exceed it, and um, it, it really does show. When you limit the amount of people that, you, that can come to your resort and you staff it well, you're going to have great service. And Nachi Kokum has been known for this for years, and I still believe that is the case. And there's a reason why Nachi Kokum has such a loyal following. I mean, if you go and Google or go on RealCoreanBlog.com and go to our message boards and ask for things to do in, in Cozumel, Odds are a couple people are going to recommend Nachi to you, and there's a reason for it. It is that good. Um, I'm not. I'm, I was not surprised that it was that good, but it is. Like I said, it was the gold standard up until I went to El Cosmolino, and now it's definitely. You know, we're talking about a one A one B situation here, but still really really nice. So there you go. There's my top three beaches. That's my. That's what uh, six to eight sailings to Cosmel gets you. You get a chance to try that out. So a lot of time in Cosmel. All right, number four on our list, or number two, I don't know how we're counting this down here, uh, Visiting Cuba. Visiting Cuba was a tremendous highlight for me. In fact, it was something I wasn't even planning on doing as of Jan 1, 2018. Going to Cuba was something I had meant to do for a while. When Cuba sailings first got announced by Royal Caribbean that they were going there, I was unemployed at the time, so I couldn't in good faith book a cruise that I couldn't pay for, so I, I let that one slide, right? And as time went on, we got to 2018, you know, they Royal Caribbean been cruising for Cuba for a little while now, and I still hadn't been there, but I had a problem. I booked my cruises so far in advance that I just, there's nothing much I can really do about it in that regard, other than start planning a cruise for like a year and a half later. But to, to this person's credit, a good friend of mine, Jose Pena, a loyal listener, good friend, you know, said, Matt... Why don't you, you know, if you don't have that much vacation time, pick a sailing and maybe work a day or two from the cruise. And I said, Jose, that's crazy talk right there. But the more I thought of it, the more I thought he was right. Also, I'm, almost, I'm always for an idea that gets me on a cruise ship. But we've had a perfect sailing to get us to Cuba, one that went over July 4th holiday. So there was, I ended up only working one day from on board the ship. And I can do that. That's easy enough to do. Working for like a week on a cruise ship, a little different situation. Not sure I'd, I'd sign up for that one again. But I'll tell you. Going to Cuba, going to Havana was amazing. We had arguably the, the the least amount of time in Havana based on any itinerary Royal Caribbean offers. These days, you can go to multiple ports in Cuba. You can do overnights in Havana. We did none of those. We <laughs> we did a Western Caribbean with a eight hour or so stop in Cos in uh, Cosmo. We did stop in Cosmo as well, but also an eight hour stop in Havana. And I'll tell you. Havana was everything I loved. I mean, one of the things I, that really endears me about cruising early on and still does is I love ports like San Juan, Puerto Rico, uh, you know, Cozumel. I love the history. I love the culture. And, you know, Havana and Cuba in general has that culture, but then times 10. I mean, if you like San Juan, Puerto Rico, you're going to love 
Havana. It's that great. I mean, just being able to explore this part of the world that had been kind of a forbidden fruit for a long time has a certain appeal to it. By the same token, being able to, uh, you know, enjoy and see a whole different, uh, a whole different world, really, uh, compared to what I've seen before was a real treat. And I didn't have to fly, you know, 20 hours across the world to do it. This is in our almost backyard in, in Cuba. So, it was amazing, and I got to tell you, I, I still need to go back. You know, I'm back in the same situation I was before, where I have no more cruises booked to Cuba, I have no more vacation time. But gosh darn it, I'm going to find a way to get back to Cuba again because it was that good. Uh, going to Havana and, and any other port you can get to in Cuba is a must do, in my opinion. It is so cool to be able to do that and see this this island. You know, people are always talking about, oh, you need to get there before it becomes too commercialized or too Americanized, and I kind of get that notion. By the same token, I'm not sure that'll really, really happen until perhaps the fall of communism or whatever form of government you want to call it that they have over there. Um, it It's too entrenched right now, I think, for that to be... Yeah, you know, people were worried it was going to happen within, like, you know, a year. I don't think that's really going to be the case. I just, I don't see that happening. Not until you start seeing, like, Hilton's and Starbucks open up. Until that point, which hasn't happened yet, I'm not too worried about it, but it is worth going to nonetheless. Uh, it's just it should, if you haven't really considered Cuba as a as a place to go, that is definitely the one to go. Uh, very very nice place, and because now with um, you know right now there's only two ships that visit there on Royal Caribbean side of the fence. You've got Empress and Majesty, but I think that's going to change uh, sooner than later. And as a result, I hope you get a chance to see that as well. And my number one uh, is also another place I visited for the first time, and it was something that I I knew I was going to like it. But I wasn't prepared for how much I was going to be endeared and enjoy the experience of it. And that was going to Alaska for the first time. Alaska was a place that was always on my bucket list. But I'm not sure it would ever made my number one. I never. I probably would have told you if you went back a year ago or so and said, Matt, what do you think Alaska is going to be like? I'm going to be like, well, I think we're going to have a fun time. It's going to be a nice, beautiful place to visit. And, uh, you know, similar to the way I might talk to you about an island in the Southern Caribbean or... Uh, you know, some other place that I want to go to, but you know, again, some places you dream about and think about all the time. This wasn't that I wasn't quite up there. Not, I, not that I didn't wasn't looking forward to it, but Alaska, you know, was just in that like you know, if this were a grading level, it'd be like a B instead of an A in terms of anticipation. But getting over there and seeing Alaska, as soon as we were in Juneau, I was blown away. I was. That's when I finally understood what everyone always talks about. And if you're listening to this podcast and you've never been to Alaska yet, you're probably thinking the same thing that I was thinking before, which was, yeah, 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 I, I know Alaska's nice. I'll get out there someday. But I'm telling you right now, you got to get out there because until you see it for your own for yourself, you truly can't appreciate it. There's no way that any Facebook video, YouTube video, photo, or podcast can frankly do it justice to describe the beauty, the spectacle, the grandeur of Alaska. And as a result, that's why I was so hooked on Alaska. And I knew that, you know, being there after a day or two in Alaska, I went from like, oh, you know, this was good. I'm glad I got this off my bucket list to holy moly, we got to come back here again. And to that point, I've already booked another cruise in 2020 to Alaska to do just that. But Alaska was such a treat, such an amazing place. And I just, I, I couldn't get enough of it. It was, it was incredible. And I had such a great time. My family had a great time. It probably helped the weather was just phenomenal for us. I would argue it was too warm. My wife would definitely <laughs> dispute that fact. Uh, but we're, uh, you know, we're going back. That's that's the number one way you can always tell if some, if you really like something, right? Whether you're talking about a restaurant 
or a, or a museum or anything in life. You know, people say, what do you think of this place? And they can go on for 20 minutes telling you all about how great it is, like I just did. But the bottom line is, are you going back? Because if you're going back, you're putting your money where your mouth is, that it's that good you want to go see it again. I need to go see it again. I need to experience it again. There's so many more things I want to do, so many more places I want to visit in there. It's not going to do it justice for even on my next visit, but I didn't want to wait another you know, five, ten years to go see Alaska. I wanted to go back again. So that's how impressive Alaska was for me. And that was my top five thing, cruising memories of 2018. But I want to hear your cruising memories. If you're listening to this podcast the week it comes out, please do me a favor. Send me an email, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. On next week's episode, we're going to take a special segment to share your favorite cruise memories. So you got to email to me before, uh, well, this episode comes out on Wednesday, so you've only got a couple days until maybe uh, Sunday or Monday of next week to send them in, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. I'll read as many as I can, sharing your, what's your favorite one or two or five, however you got, cruise memories of 2018. You don't need to go to, you know, eight cruises or 20 cruises in the year. You could have just been one, but you know, it's what makes it special to you. Maybe it was the first time it was your first cruise altogether. Maybe your first cruise with the Royal Caribbean. Perhaps it was your first Royal Caribbean cruise with somebody else, like a a child, a parent, a friend, you know, introducing somebody else to the the passion and love of cruising is a truly special experience. So uh, whatever, whatever made cruising in 2018 stand out to you, I would love to hear about what you really look back on fondly in 2018. Just a quick email over. I'd love to read it on next week's episode, matt at royalcrimmingblog.com. Speaking of your listener emails, of course, we're answering your questions on this week's episode, and you can always send me your emails about anything on your mind Royal Caribbean related by sending it also to matt at royalcrimmingblog.com. So you have a question, a comment, something on your mind about Royal Caribbean cruising, we're here to talk about it and or answer it. Uh, so please feel free to send me these emails, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Our first email this week is from Bob Church of Fulton, New York. Hi, Matt. Thanks for the great podcast. I was recently listening to some past episodes, and in listener email, a gentleman commented on booking with a refundable reservation, then at a later date before a final payment, changing the reservation to non-refundable and gaining onboard credit for a monetary advantage. Can you comment on or explain this process and what advantage exists with this method? Bob, thanks for the email. Actually, I did this also recently with my Brilliance of the Seas cruise in September. This strategy may or may not work. Essentially, how it works is you book a non-refundable fare because you like the flexibility of non-refundable fares. But up until final payment date or, uh, yeah, 90, which is the same thing, 90 days before the cruise, you could still theoretically change to a re- non-refundable rate. The reality of it, though, is in most cases, there's no advantage to it. But in some cases, we've seen... Like in my situation, if we had switched to a non-refundable fare, the the fare price dropped randomly. You know, for uh, I forget how much it was. Then it, it you know it was a certain amount of money. Whether it was twenty bucks or two hundred dollars, I'm not sure. But the bottom line is, um, because it's, you know what you're basically doing is canceling your existing reservation, then rebooking under the ref- non-refundable fare, you can save some money. So the strategy works like this, Bob. You book refundable because you like that flexibility. But as you once you really know you're going on the cruise, and certainly by final payment date, you're going to know that. But in the weeks leading up to that, check those non-refundable fares. If you see that there's a better fare available and you live in the country like the U.S., Canada, uh, Australia, where you can reprice cruises or cancel cruises without penalty, I should say, then you can take advantage of this. Uh, it's just like a price drop. The only difference is we had to switch fares. But again, at that point, just before final payment date, there was a bit of a price 
uh, a cheaper price available, even though it was like, you know, a couple days before final payment and then after final payment, you know, everything becomes non-refundable, so, or, you know, partially refundable anyway, so why not? That's how I, I hope that makes sense as to why we went that way. So it's something to look out, you know, keep your eye on when you're looking to um, plan those cruises. Next, if you know from Patrick, writes, is there a particular company or policy you would recommend for travel insurance for Royal Caribbean cruises? We've used our own, we've used Royal Caribbean's own insurance coverage in the past, but have recently learned of some shortfalls in their coverage, so we'd like to consider other options. Patrick, thanks for the email, and your explanation of why you're looking at new options is exactly why I don't necessarily recommend just one company or just one policy. The reality is when it comes to insurance, travel insurance, or any insurance policy for that matter, is it's a matter of what does it cover and what are you looking for in your coverage? I mean, are you looking for, some people want to have insurance coverage that could cover any possible uh, situation, uh, airlift off the ship, dental surgery, um, a replacement, you know, uh, I don't know what, right? Like, I mean, everything and every anything. Certainly that policy is going to cost you a lot more money than somebody who's just saying, look, I just want to have like basic travel insurance. So if something does happen, I'm not totally paying out of pocket. You know, there's a little bit of a, a cushion, not, not like a, not a golden pillow, but you know, a, or a golden parachute, but you know, just something to ease the, ease the pain. And by virtue of that fact, there's a policy for you. Personally, I have purchased a travel insurance plan, which actually reminds me, I need to renew it for 2019. Uh, I purchased a travel insurance policy with Allianz Travel. Um, I heard very good things. They have a very good reputation. It had that kind of insurance policy I wanted. I picked kind of the middle of the road one, Patrick, because I wanted something that, you know, again, would cushion the, the blow of any major thing. But it doesn't like, I don't think it covers like, you know, if I... It wouldn't, cost, it wouldn't cover every single expense I had. It would just make it a whole lot easier to handle anything that came my way. And that's why I went that particular route, Patrick. But again, my recommendation is, yes, you should look at other companies. There's nothing wrong with Royal Caribbean's own insurance. It's a matter of what are you looking for? Are you looking for just cruise insurance, like to cover the trip costs? Are you looking for medical insurance? Are you looking for uh, pre or post uh, cruise insurance, like, you know, getting there, transportation uh, impacts, things of that nature, then you might consider other choices as well. But that's why I kind of look in, you know, there's, it, there is no one plan, one company that works for everybody. It's a matter of what you're looking for. Next, we have an email from Shelly. He writes, I had read somewhere about an all-inclusive hotel you can go for the day in Cozumel and Grand Cayman. Can you help? Also, what would you recommend for a first-time cruiser so not to get sick? Ooh, good question. So, if you're going to Cozumel, uh, we just talked about earlier in this episode, I'm going to give you three different all-inclusive places. Uh, I'm just, these are the same ones I mentioned earlier, but maybe you skipped to this part of the episode or you skipped over that other part. Uh, the answer, Shelly, would be uh, El Cosmolino, uh, Nachicocum, N-A-C-H-I-C-O-C-O-M. I know that's like, what? How is that spelled? Or uh, Paradise Beach, if you want. It's not all-inclusive, um, but it does offer good... Uh, the other all-inclusive place I'd recommend would be Mr. Sancho's. Um, those are all really good places in Cozumel. It's all a matter of price and what you're looking or not looking to do. Uh, in order to book them, Shelly, none of them are booked through Royal Caribbean. They're all third parties. You can get some of them off a website like uh, shoreexcursioneer.com. Uh, Nachi is booked directly through their own website. So there you go. In Grand Cayman, I am not familiar with any all-inclusives that I would certainly recommend. I do tend to recommend for folks who are going to... Grand Cayman to go to a beach on, it's called Seven Mile Beach. Seven Mile Beach is a long beach. There's many like different operations on Seven Mile Beach, but there's a particular operation called the Royal Palms Beach, which a good friend of mine, Ken Jarvis from rcperiscopers.live recommended, and I in Jarvis I trust, so uh, Royal Palms is a good spot. It's not all-inclusive, but it gets you at least some of the way there. And in terms of 
uh, what would you recommend for a first-time cruiser not to get sick? Uh, first and foremost, I'll also tell you as a first-time cruiser not to worry about it. I know it seems odd, but it's like, it, it's somewhat unlikely for you to happen. I wouldn't really worry about it. And a lot of first-time cruisers really place that, like, seasickness, like, in their top three things that they worry about. But if you ask veteran cruisers, people who have cruised before many times, if you were to rank your concerns in general going on a real, on any cruise, where would seasickness fall? I really feel like it doesn't even make the top ten. You know, it's somewhere like along the lines of like, you know, if my dinner is cold at, on night four kind of thing. Like, it's a concern, but not something that's going to stop you or you're really going to lose any sleep over. So keep that in mind. But uh, in terms of what would you recommend for a first-time cruiser so not to get sick, if you are truly worried, there are two things that I would recommend. One of two things. A, the easier one, is to get an order of an over-the-counter drug called Bonine. B-O-N-I-N-E. Bonine. You can get it without a prescription. Uh, it is a, you take it daily, once a day. Uh, it will prevent seasickness or motion sickness in general. And it, the only side effect is it will make you tired. At some point in the day, you're going to really be tired and t- need to take a nap. Now, of course, I tell people it's better to be drowsy or tired for part of the day than it is to be seasick. It's a far more enjoyable experience. I mean, taking a nap is not a big deal. And some people will also tell you if you time the pill right, you know, if you take it in the evening, then the drowsiness kicks in right when you're ready to go to bed anyway. That's fine, but just keep that in mind. That's a mild side effect of it. The other option is the uh, patch. There's a I forget what the medical medicine is called, but you can go to your your primary care physician. Get you need a prescription for this, but it's a patch you apply behind your ear typically, and that you wear for the entire duration of your cruise. It prevents seasickness as well. Its primary side effect is uh, cotton mouth, dry mouth. You're gonna be very thirsty, <laughs> and it's never gonna nothing's ever really gonna soothe it, but. You know, again, much better side effect than being seasick, certainly. In both situations, um, you it's something you can take. I don't take it anymore. When I first started cruising, I started taking it for the same reason you are asking me, Shelly. You're like, oh, I'm worried about getting seasick. And then I realized, like, why am I taking this? I'm, I'm getting drowsy for no reason. And I'm not, it's, the ocean is not really that bad. I mean, if you're doing a transatlantic or, you know, uh, doing some other sailing in which you could potentially have rougher seas, I can understand that. But... I will tell you not to worry about it. I do, we always do bring Bonine with us in our bag, or like in our first aid kit, just to have in case. But, you know, try not to harp on it too much is what I'm trying to say. But those are my two recommendations right there uh, for good ways to get around. There are also some non-drug, you know, homeopathic ways. There's ginger, green apples are supposed to help as well. To each your own if you want to go about that route um, as a way to kind of, you know, prevent it or, or, or treat it, as it were. Um, to each their own. I haven't... I'm not, my wife, I think, believes in the green apple thing. I think one time she got uh, a little motion sickness and had a little bit of that to eat and said she felt better. But again, I there, I don't think it's a wrong path to go about it. It's a matter of your own personal preference. And our last email today is from Chris from Canada. It's Matt, I've been listening to your podcast and reading your blogs since my first cruise last year on Empress of the Seas. My family had such a good time that we decided to book a seven-night Western Caribbean cruise on Harmony of the Seas. The ship was amazing. The water slides, abyss, zipline, flow rider, pools, and the shows exceeded expectations. Our balcony room, boardwalk balcony room, was huge compared to the room on Empress of the Seas. Now for the not-so-good stuff. The Windjammer was a major disappointment. The selection and quality were just not there. On such a large ship, we expected more. Also, the launch and lobby was really, really bad. I felt that the I feel that a real beach barbecue would have been much better given how nice the port is. We're booked next year on Symphony of the Sea, so I hope they improve the Windjammer by then. Thanks for all your hard work on the blog. Chris, thank you for the email, dude. I'm glad you had a great time and uh, you went on Empress and Harmony. Uh, you know, what's interesting about the Windjammer is Oasis-class ships, they purposefully, Chris, make the Windjammer smaller than 
on other ships and certainly less um, less encompassing than on other ships. And the reason is they don't want the Windjammer to become the de facto place everybody goes to. You've got 6,000 passengers on there. You can't have 6,000 people in the Windjammer. You just can't. So as a result, they part it down so that it would still offer you know most of the stuff, but it wouldn't be like if you'd been to the Windjammer on a Freedom class ship or a Voyager class ship or really any other class of ships in Royal Caribbean's fleet, you would have a certain expectation for it, but it's not to that level or that scale on an Oasis class. And again, that's by design. So what you need to do on your symphony selling, which is a great idea, by the way, is work in more stops to other places. Park Cafe is a wonderful option. If you didn't go there on Harmony, you got to go check out Park Cafe there. On Symphony, you'll have the opportunity to check out uh, El Loco Fresh, which is a Mexican grab-and-go. Uh, on Harmony, it was the location called um, Mini Bites. But you go over there, uh, again, Great options for you. The main dining room is going to be open for breakfast and sometimes for lunch on sea day. So you have other choices, including on top of, you know, you got Sorrento's, you got Cafe Promenade, you have the Boardwalk Doghouse. So there's a lot of different choices there. But again, the idea is they don't want it to be, the Windjamere rather, to be all-encompassing because then too many people will be there and it'll be a zoo. So they're trying to, again, scale it so that it's like, oh, there's stuff here, but, you know. Hope that makes sense. In terms of the launch on Labadee, I am kind of in agreement with you. I'm not the world's biggest barbecue fan to begin with, full disclosure. But yeah, the food never really does much for me. What I always offer or order, rather, Chris, is a veggie burger. I don't. Even, I'm not a vegetarian. I just think because of the fact they make them fresh. Because if you need a veggie burger, they don't just make them automatically. You have to ask for it. So it takes about five or ten minutes from the cooking one up. But the reason why I get it is because because it's made fresh like that, it tastes a little bit better. But yeah, oftentimes my wife and I will just either eat very lightly on in Labadee and then eat when we get back on the ship. Sometimes we've been known actually to go back to the ship and then come back on to Labadee. You know, the dock is nice for that to get something to eat. But yeah, I it's not my favorite by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not sure it'll change all that much for you when you go on Symphony. But again, you know, either eat light and then eat uh, something else more substantial when you get on board the ship. Or you do have the option of going back on board eating and going back to the beach. So keep that in mind as, a, as an idea. All right, guys. Well, that will wrap up this episode of the Royal Korean Blog Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us here. I do appreciate it. Of course, uh, you can always send me an email that you can be read right here on this podcast by sending it to Matt, M-A-T-T, at Royal Caribbean Blog.com. Royal Caribbean Blog. Matt at Royal Caribbean Blog.com. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon.